Good morning, everyone. It is May the 31st, 2020. Welcome to Bible class. My name is Bob Lawrence. I'm one of the Bible class teachers at the Anchorage Church of Christ. And today we finish our springtime series going through the pastoral letters of the New Testament. And I should begin class today by saying, happy birthday. Did you know that today is Pentecost? It has been seven weeks uh, since Easter. And you'll remember that the uh, that Pentecost was the very day on which the gospel was first preached to uh, a large number of people there in Jerusalem uh, after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It was on the day of Pentecost that the Holy Spirit was given, not to individuals, but to an entire group of people, a, uh, a collection of people, a congregation, and, uh, and that uh, that word, uh, congregation, in Greek is actually the word ekklesia. It is a gathering of people, uh, and that's where we get the term church. And so many people say that today is a celebration of the birthday of the church. And isn't it interesting that it was on that day that Peter stood before all the people who had gathered in Jerusalem for what was then called the Feast of Weeks, and he gave this message that Jesus Christ, who was a descendant of David, uh, is the one whom they had killed, but whom God had raised from the dead, and that it was through Jesus that the world would be changed. And today, uh, we're reminded that that is, in fact, the message that changes, uh, changes the entire world. Well, uh, today we'll be going into uh, some of the letters from the New Testament, but I, I think it's important to recognize that everything that we read uh, in the New Testament, everything that we study about the gospel of Christ is tied back to that moment when God pours out his spirit on all mankind and gives us the ability to be right again, to be made again uh, in the image of God. And today's a great day to celebrate that. And it's interesting to think that Peter never could have imagined that using technology that, that would be uh, unthinkable for him that we're able to broadcast that very same message today, even though in the midst of a pandemic, we are kept separate and, and do not get to uh, worship or study the scripture together face to face, we get to do so virtually. And using the technology that's available, available to us, we get to broadcast this same message over the whole world. Well, today I would, I, I would really like to just conclude or bring to a conclusion our study that we have gone through this spring. Uh, we've studied four different books, the book of 1 Timothy, we went through the book of 2 Timothy, and then Titus, and then finally uh, the book of Philemon. And these letters are set apart in the New Testament as being a little different from the other letters. And so I thought it would be appropriate today, since we've read each of these letters together and we've uh, spent a lot of time talking about the details of the letter, let's spend some time this morning taking now a step back and let's look at, at three different things. The first is let's look at where these letters fit within the, the larger uh, collection of scriptures that you find in your Bible. The second thing I want to touch on is how to read a letter in the New Testament. These letters are a unique style of writing, and I want to give you a few tools or just a reminder about how to read these types of books in the Bible. And then the last uh, part of our class today is just a, a simple reminder of all the things that we read in these letters of First and Second Timothy, Titus and Philemon. Uh, what is the charge that Paul would give to us, just as he gave to those people that he wrote so long ago? 
Well, these letters that were written by Paul are actually personal letters. And so, so let's think about where these letters fit in to the Bible as a whole. Now, if you were to pick up a Bible and turn maybe to the table of contents, what you recognize is that the Bible is not one book. In fact, the Bible is more like a library. And so when you open up the Bible, it's as if you have walked into a small library made up of these 66 books. And that library is, is split into two different aisles. One of those aisles we typically call the Old Testament. Those are the scriptures that uh, tell us about God creating the world and how after creation man fell. And, and it goes through that story of how human beings basically blew it, but how God working through those same human beings selects one group of people and then hammers home to that group of people what it means to follow him and what his nature is like. And that's, that's, that's the story of the Old Testament and how God takes those Hebrew people and instills in them a thorough working knowledge of his nature. And so that's one aisle. And uh, that aisle of scripture involves the first books of the New Testament, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's called the Pentateuch or those five books uh, in which we learn about the creation of the world and the giving of the law. And then the rest of that Old Testament goes through uh, books of history, where you learn about the kings of Israel uh, uh, who, uh, you know, led the Hebrews. You also uh, get to go through what are called the writings and hear the poetry of the Old Testament writers. And then a large section of the Old Testament is a, is really the writings of the prophets. And it's through those writings of the prophets that we learn that God's intent is not just to save this one group of people that, uh, that he has worked with for hundreds and even thousands of years. Instead, it is through these people that God will end up saving the world through his chosen servant, which they call the Messiah. And that's where there's this shift. From the Old Testament, after a few hundred years, uh, you begin to, to hear how uh, the story now, having come to a fine point in, uh, in this one Jewish family, uh, God breaks forth again. And it's through this Jewish nation that God ends up rescuing the entire world. And that's really the second aisle of your Bible, and that's the New Testament. And so when you get to the New Testament, you learn of God breaking forth and in entering this world as a human being. And that's where we learn about Jesus in those first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are four different perspectives on uh, on the life of Christ, on, on how he came into this world, on what he taught. And there we get to see, again, this nature of God but in, in uh, indwelling one human being. And it is that human being, Jesus Christ, who is in his very nature, God, lays down his life for not just the Jewish nation, but the entire, entire world. And so that's the first four books of your New Testament. And then there's a book that follows those called the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is pure uh, first century history, which follows the... Uh, the development of this new community of faith called the church. And that, again, is what began on the day of Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit is poured out on mankind, and people get to hear the message, the word, for the first time. And they hear Peter preach this message, and then they hear that message preached by others like Stephen. And we, we begin to see these pockets, these 
communities of people who recognize that Jesus is the Messiah and these churches begin to form first over Israel and then over the area of Samaria and it spreads out from there and then almost in a viral way just like those uh, maps that you see of the coronavirus popping up all over the world you see the gospel doing the same thing and spreading uh, over the entire Mediterranean world as you read through this book of Acts and a large part of Acts is devoted to the spread of Christianity by a group of people. Now the focus seems to be on the Apostle Paul, but as you read through Acts, you realize that Paul was not a missionary who worked alone. He is followed by these other individuals, and it's in Acts that you meet Priscilla and Aquila, and you get to meet uh, people like Luke, who actually wrote down uh, the, the book of Acts and wrote down that history. We get to meet Timothy, and we meet all these different places that Paul goes. And by reading through Acts, you're introduced to, because it's a history book, you're introduced to people and places and events that actually happened. This is not mythology in the sense of a story that has a good point. It's not, um, it's, it's not uh, a fiction in the sense of a, uh, a story that is meant to separate you from reality. This is, these are events that actually, actually occurred. And it's from those events that... Uh, certain letters end up being written, or after certain events, that letters end up being written. And much of the New Testament is made up of these letters that are written by many different people. You have letters in the New Testament that are written by some of the apostles, like John and Peter uh, and James. Uh, There's a letter that's written by Jude. But most of those letters of the New Testament, and, and the largest letters anyway, are written by the Apostle Paul, who was specially selected by God as one of the rock stars in, uh, in the Jewish faith and in Jewish leadership. And, and he is converted to follow Christ and not just follow Christ, but to actually broadcast this message of how God is saving the world through Jesus. And much of what we learn about the gospel, we learn through these, these letters that Paul writes. Now, he writes these letters to different churches. And so, Uh, In Acts, you're introduced to uh, churches in this region of Galatia. And when Paul writes a letter to that area, that's the letter you have that's called Galatians. And if you look uh, uh, through that New Testament, you'll find other letters. Uh, The uh, book of Ephesians is written to the city of Ephesus. And we spend a lot of time talking about Ephesus and uh, Artemis of the Ephesians. And in Acts, you learn about Ephesus. But in Ephesians, you get to hear a letter written to that entire church. Uh, The letter of Colossians is written to the church in Colossae. And so these letters that you read are large letters and they're written to a body of people. So you can imagine one, uh, you know, uh, Sunday the church has gathered together probably in a courtyard or in a large room of of someone's house. And as the church is gathered, they pull out a parchment and say, we we have a new letter that has arrived from Paul. And and today we're going to read that. And they would open up that letter and they would read a letter that was personal to them. Imagine being in Rome and rolling up this parchment and reading for the first time the letter of Romans. Or being in Ephesus and and for the first time opening that letter and reading a a letter that's written to you, to your church. Or being in Galatia and opening up this letter that was written to your region or Colossae or or any of those letters. Imagine what that would be like in, in our congregation today. Uh, for someone to say, we, we have a letter that has just arrived, and it's to us, and to open that letter and read something that was written to us. Well, that's, that's many of those letters of the, uh, the New Testament 
are letters that were written to large churches and, uh, and they are meant to be read from start to finish just like the very first recipients. Now the reason that they were uh, preserved and copied and even translated over thousands of years is because what Paul wrote and what the other apostles wrote to each of those uh, groups were not meant just for them. In fact, in some of the letters it says, copy this letter and send it to you know another church because this is important information for everyone. But the reason that you have this letter uh, today is because the information contained within these letters is so important that it is, uh, it is meant to be heard and read and contemplated and followed by every generation of people who choose to follow Christ. And so those are most of the letters of the New Testament. But remember, we're still in this library. We're still in this aisle of the New Testament letters. And we find there in this section of the library a collection of these four letters, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, and Philemon, that are written not to large groups of people, but are written to individuals. And so when we open this book of 1 Timothy, we're reading a letter that was really written only to one person. That letter was addressed just to Timothy. And the same with 2 Timothy, a very personal letter that we read right before Paul's death when he picks up the pen, puts it to parchment, and he writes a letter to his son in the faith, uh, Timothy, and says, please come to me, come to me soon. And he writes a very a personal letter to Titus, who at the time, remember, was on Crete. Uh, and then he uh, also writes a very personal letter to Philemon about the interaction between Philemon and one of his slaves and what happens socially when these two men become followers of Christ, and there is no longer master and slave, but rather brothers who uh, are, are equal under God. Well, Paul writes these, these letters to individuals, and they're meant to be read that way uh, as uh, letters that, are, that were addressed to an individual. And so in a sense, you're reading somebody else's mail, and it's somebody else's very personal uh, mail. Well, th that's the second thing that I wanted to make sure that we caught today, and that is that, that the letters of the New Testament are meant to be read as just that, as letters. There are some books in the Bible that are books of history and can be read much like you would a history book. There are books of uh, poetry uh, and, and proverbs, uh, like you see in the Psalms of the Old Testament. There are actually sections of the New Testament which are very poetic and may be read as, as isolated poems. But these letters of the New Testament are really meant to be read the same way you would read a card or a letter that has arrived in the mail over the last few months uh, during the pandemic. You would, you would never open up a letter and simply pick the third paragraph and only read that paragraph and then put the letter away for later. Uh, you, when, you, when you get a letter like that, you start at the very top at the, the Dear You introduction. And then you read that letter all the way through to the end. And you don't stop. And, and you recognize in that letter some things that are very personal, that are just for you, and things that may be broad and apply to lots of uh, people. Well, the point is that we do a disservice to these letters in the New Testament if we read them any way other than the way they were intended to be read in the beginning. You know, there's a tendency when we study the Bible to read uh, just a few passages that are either hard to understand or maybe are clear uh, to understand and are, are very pertinent. And we read that verse and we share our opinions about what that means to us personally or what that means you know, to, to me today. But we uh, do ourselves a, a disservice if we don't take a step back 
and read that letter from the start to the finish and find out what the, uh, the, the passage, the whole letter, was really trying to say. In other words, letting that entire letter just wash over us. And in doing so, we actually protect ourselves against uh, one of the problems in doing a selective type of, of Bible study. Let me illustrate that for you. When Paul says, let a woman learn in quietness and full submission. Well, there's a tendency, if you look at that from a modern perspective, uh, to think that, uh, that Paul or that the New Testament church even was somehow oppressing women and encouraging them or, or not allowing them to share or to speak in public. When, when you read the letter, though, as a whole and you drop it into its context of Ephesus, you hear that what Paul's actually saying there is something quite opposite where he says that a woman should be permitted to learn. And you see how that was a revolutionary statement and can be a revolutionary statement even today in many parts of the world where there are still people who are oppressed, where there are still people who are restricted from learning and, and, and people are still kept away from hearing the gospel. And Paul would come into that even in our culture today and said, you do not allow anyone to be prevented from hearing the gospel. Well, that's what you catch when you read the letter as a whole uh, that you might miss if you focus only on one verse and if you allow yourself to have on only the blinders of a modern day culture. But there's something protective about reading literature uh, in, its, in its original form, usually in translation, but as best as possible to get a feel for uh, the writing as a whole. And uh, let me show you where that can be protective uh, this is also true, not just in Bible reading, but also in what's called literary criticism. Did you know there's a whole science of uh, learning how to critique literature? And one of the classic small texts written on that was by uh, C.S. Lewis, the one who wrote Chronicles of Narnia and who uh, uh, wrote many other essays, Mere Christianity, the, the famous screw tape letters. Um, did you know he was a, he was a, a professor of medieval literature and he put together a little book on how do you, how do you teach people to critique. And, and his, the main premise of his book is that uh, you best teach literature by letting people read literature. In fact, this little book, even though it has nothing to do with the Bible, is one of the best books on how to read the Bible. And, and the basic premise is uh, that uh, in order to enjoy literature, we should allow people to step back and actually just read the book. Well, he's not, again, talking here about the Bible, but I wanted to read you a section in which he's talking about how to teach uh, poetry or literature as a whole. And here he makes a critique of those people who teach students to read a passage and they give their opinion real quick on what does this passage mean or what does this passage mean to you or do you think that the author really knew what they were talking about? And Lewis warns against that by saying, For this reason, I'm very doubtful whether criticism is a proper exercise for boys and girls. A clever schoolboy's reaction to his reading is most naturally expressed by parody or imitation. The necessary condition of all good reading is to get ourselves out of the way. We do not help the young to do this by forcing them to keep on expressing opinions, especially poisonous, is the kind of teaching which encourages them to approach every literary work with suspicion. Did you ever have teachers like that that teach you to uh, 
to, to read with an eye towards uh, what is the author trying to trick you into believing. This springs from a very reasonable motive. In a world full of sophistry and propaganda, we want to protect the rising generation from being deceived, to forearm them against the invitations to false sentiment and muddled thinking, which printed words will so often offer them. Unfortunately, the very same habit which makes them impervious to the bad writing makes them impervious also to the good. The excessively knowing rustic. Now listen to this illustration. Um, he's describing here what we might call the, 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 country, uh, the country boy who doesn't know life in the city. The excessively knowing rustic, he calls him, comes into town too well primed with warnings against uh, manipulators and thieves and does not always get on very well. Indeed, after rejecting much genuine friendliness, missing many real opportunities, and making several enemies, he is quite likely to fall a victim to some trickster who flatters his shrewdness. The same is true here. No poem will give up its secret to a reader who enters it regarding the poet as a potential deceiver and determined not to be taken in. We must risk being taken in if we are to get anything. The best safeguard against bad literature is a full experience of good, just as a real and affectionate acquaintance with honest people gives a better protection against rogues than the habitual distrust of everyone. Well, the point there is that that's not only true of literature, but the, uh, it's also true of the Bible. When we're reading scripture, the best protection against false teaching is a thorough practiced reading of good teaching. And we should never be afraid to uh, allow people to just read scripture as it was intended to be read uh, in its original context and to, to allow that scripture to to wash over them. And the best protection against false teaching, about uh, false interpretations, uh, about the false application of Scripture, the best protection against that is a thorough and practiced reading of Scripture. The same is true when we read through uh, uh, in Timothy and in Titus this list of qualities that we look for in those who lead the church. Uh, as we read through those lists and we see them in the context, we recognize that what Paul was telling uh, each of those men is to select individuals who either in Crete or in Ephesus or, or quite frankly anywhere in uh, the world. You select those people who have followed Christ and begin to show those qualities of a person who are being changed by Christ. And those are your, those are your leaders. Uh, in the letters, when we read about what it means to be a husband, what it means to be a wife, what it means to be children, what it means to be a worker for someone else, what it means to be someone under authority or to be a citizen. In a country. All of these issues are touched on uh, in, these, in these personal letters. But when you read them in context, you recognize that, uh, that we share so much in common with those very first followers of Christ. And we hear this refreshing reminder that the very same solution to the problems that they faced is the solution to the problems that, that we face today. And there's, there's a protective uh, 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 aspect of learning how to read Scripture in its context, and especially when it comes to the letters, to pick up those letters and, and read them from start to finish. And so I, I pass that on to you as a habit that is 
uh, certainly been helpful to me, and, and I hope it would be helpful to you too, that take time uh, in your own study and in your own reading to, to make sure that when you're studying a particular passage that you actually take a moment to read the entire letter. And then also notice that when you're reading the letters of the New Testament, uh, that you're being introduced to friends and in many cases family members who, uh, who have gone long before you. And so when you see those names of Priscilla and Aquila or you, you meet uh, Tychicus or on, Onesiphorus uh, uh, or Onesimus or um, uh, uh, Apollo or Timothy or Titus, or you see the names that are in this letter, even some of these side names that you don't read anywhere else, you're reading the names of, of, of people. These are human beings who lived in a different period of time but faced the very same challenges that you face. They chose to follow Christ, and they allowed Christ to remake them in their time. These are people that you will meet someday. Uh, and as you read the letter, you recognize that this gospel is not just something for religious people out there somewhere. This letter is not just for large groups of people. As we read these personal letters, we recognize that the gospel is for you. It's, it's for me. It is written for individuals. And that's one of the values of, of reading the letters. Well, um, that's, the, that's the letters of the New Testament. That's where they fit into the New Testament. And, and maybe that's a, a reason for, or, or helpful to you, in providing a reason for reading these letters as they were meant to be read from start to finish. Uh, and then finally, before we close class, I wanted to pass along to you a reminder. And that's the charge that Paul gave to Timothy. And what we think is the very last letter that Paul wrote, uh, which in your Bible is the book of 2 Timothy. Paul was in a prison in Rome. This was his last imprisonment. Uh, we're fairly sure that he was executed at the end of this imprisonment. But before, before he dies and he sees the end coming, he writes a letter to Timothy. And it's as a part of that letter that you hear this handing off of the baton. And this uh, passage that I pass on to you comes from uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. And this is where Paul, writing to his son in the faith, says, in the presence of God. The word presence there is actually in the, in the, within the vision of God or within the sight of God and of Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing and his kingdom. Now remember, Paul's writing this in the shadow of Rome the empire of Rome. And Paul says, in the full view of God and the real kingdom, I give you this charge. Broadcast the word. Now your version may say, preach the word, but we talked about in our class how that word preach has taken on today a different connotation that usually means the giving of a religious type of message, usually in a church, usually behind a pulpit. The images that come to mind when you hear of preaching are not always positive, but that's a very different word in the, or had a very, that word uh, had a very different connotation in the first century. That word is keruxon. It comes from uh, the word kerux. A kerux was a herald. That was the person who was given a message and they, their job was to stand in a public place and broadcast the message. They did not give their own opinion. They did not give editorial. They simply took the message that was handed to them and then they broadcast that. It's the same thing that's happening right now. You're not actually listening to me talk. I have recorded this message. 
I have uploaded this message and now there is a computer that is replicating what I have uploaded and giving it to you without comment, without commentary, without uh, any editorial, editorializing. It is simply passing this message on to you. And, and Paul gives that same charge to Timothy. And he says, God has uploaded this message. He has provided this message. And now he says to Timothy, broadcast the word. And the word is that message. Now the word, which actually means the word in the New Testament, brings to mind uh, two things. One is the word in its uh, incarnate form. That's how the New Testament refers to Jesus. But it's also how it refers to the entire message of how God is changing the world one person at a time through the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus in which uh, God has taken care of our sin and now is able through his Holy Spirit to remake each and every one of us into his image again. And so Paul, handing this baton to Timothy, says, I give you this charge to broadcast the word in season and out of season. Uh, and there it means, it literally says, when the time is good and when the time is not good, you broadcast that same, uh, that same message. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. And so whether it's correction, whether it's rebuking someone, calling them down for uh, doing what's wrong, or encourage. The word there, encourage, means call alongside. So whether it's correcting someone, rebuking someone, or calling them uh, alongside, he says, uh, you do this with great patience and careful instruction. Well, I think that's a good, that's a good message for us today, to realize that the reason that Timothy, who had received this particular letter, uh, kept it, was because that message was so important to him. And I bet the reason that he shared it with others is because he recognized that the message was not just for him. I wonder if he passed that message on to someone else and said, you know, it's your job to broadcast the word as well. And this message was so important to them that they copied that letter. And those people copied that letter. So we ended up with copies of copies. And that letter was uh, then uh, translated into other languages. And then eventually it's brought down even to our time so that the whole world gets this same, uh, this same message. And everyone who follows Christ is reminded that you become a person in whom this message has been uploaded. And you get the unspeakable privilege of, in whatever way, uh, God has given you the ability to do so, whether it's a good time or a bad time, that you get the ability to, to broadcast the word. And here's the final point of these letters that we have read. And that is this. Did you notice that in each of the letters that a Paul writing to Timothy, writing to Titus, writing to Philemon, he's dealing with very real problems. And each one of the letters is, is not only intensely personal, they're intensely practical. Where Paul uh, deals with, how do, you, how do you establish a leadership for a group of people? How do you address problems in the family? between husbands and wives? And how do you address issues with children? How do you address issues with, in that day, masters and slaves, but in a, in a sense with uh, servants or employees within a culture? How do you deal with uh, issues of citizens uh, and, their, and their leaders? And so you have all of these pragmatic issues that are being addressed in each of the letters. But notice how Paul says that if you are in a position of 
directing public policy, if you are a leader of a, a church that uh, has its place within a community and you're addressing some of these problems that are timeless, that will be a part of every uh, culture that ever exists on this earth, if you are called on to address those issues, what is it? Uh, th- what is your main focus? What, uh, what, what is it that will help to address these problems? And notice that the message of the letters is not give them this advice. Instead, the point of every single one of these letters is that to solve these problems, to address these issues, to, uh, to, uh, to help make the world right again, you don't give people good advice, you give them Jesus. And that's Paul's message that he hands to Timothy. And I think by extension, because that letter comes to us, that message is what's given to us today. Do we want to solve the world's problems? We don't give the world good advice. We give them Jesus. Well, that's been a, uh, an enjoyable walk for me through these personal letters in the New Testament. I hope that that's been helpful to you this spring. Uh, this has been a unique time, and we've gone through this series uh, during a coronavirus pandemic, and it's been a unique time when most of our learning has had to be at a distance. We're thankful to God for technology that has allowed us to be connected uh, despite being physically and socially distanced. Um, but we're reminded here that one day all of this will be over and God will bring all of us back together and we will have a chance to, uh, to worship, to study uh, side by side again in a congregate setting because we are a congregation. So I hope this study has been helpful to you and then invite you to come back next week and uh, we'll continue our Bible study series. Now we swing back to the Old Testament And Scott Maston will be bringing us uh, a study in the book of Jeremiah. So if you'd like to get ahead, uh, be sure to read that book, start to finish, uh, the book of uh, the prophecy of Jeremiah in the Old Testament. So, until next week, may God bless the reading of His Word, and may He bless us in our attempts this week to put it into practice. Be well.